Good afternoon and welcome to Christ the King Anglican Church Toronto on this Sunday after Ascension. I'm Deacon Marion and we're, we're taking a, a break from our Matthew series for three weeks. Uh, this week for Ascension, next week for Pentecost, and the week after for Trinity Sunday. And then Glenn will return us to the Gospel of Matthew at that point. Usually I begin a sermon by quoting a verse or two from uh, the scripture that was read, but today I began by quoting a few lines from the uh, Nicene Creed that we just recited together as part of our Holy Communion service. They're the same basic lines that are in the Apostles' Creed that we recite together in our evening prayer services. So every week, we assert uh, that after Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and rose again, he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father to begin his reign as Christ the King over a kingdom that will never have an end. And we also assert that he will come again in glory for judgment and to set all things right. These uh, lines from the creed rest on our scripture passage today, together with other passages of scripture, such as uh, many scriptures in the book of Hebrews that we studied in great detail as a, as a church under our former rector, Keith Ganser. So our passage today that Tim read for us is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I encourage you to have your, your Bibles open to that uh, passage. In verse 3 of our passage, uh, we hear that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his followers during 40 days and then ascended to heaven. Well, this past Thursday, uh, May the 26th, was 40 days after Easter Sunday. So today we remember Jesus ascending into heaven, the event called the Ascension. Now, the author of the book of Acts is Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke chose the Ascension as the dividing point between his two writings. So the Gospel of Luke ends with the Ascension, and the book of Acts begins with the Ascension. And right in the first verse of our passage, we see why Luke did this. Luke, speaking to his patron Theophilus, says that his first book, the Gospel of Luke, was about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up in the Ascension. The implication is that this, his, his second book, the book of Acts, is about all that Jesus continued to do from his throne in heaven, through his church on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, it turns out that uh, last month, um, I actually preached on the last chapter of Luke, uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke 24, on the Sunday after 
Easter. And as I was preparing for this uh, sermon, I was reminded of things from the last one, uh, because Luke 24 and Acts 1 kind of overlap uh, at the hinge between Luke's two writings. The, the title of that previous sermon, the one on Luke 24, was, was one word, but it was a funny uh, long word, which I ended up uh, writing on a, uh, on a piece of, a big piece of paper. <laughs> so we're gonna have just a moment here of uh, congregational participation opportunity. Um, and I'm gonna ask if anyone remembers that one word and what it, it means. So if, if you remember, put up a hand and, oh, I think him has it. Tell us. Something catastrophe, yes. Yeah, you got it. You catastrophe, perfect. What does it mean? <laughs> something like a catastrophe but in a good way perfect thank you very much yeah there there was the word that i wrote up so it it is indeed catastrophe but with the uh the prefix you in front of it that means good so a you catastrophe is a good catastrophe and, and furthermore, it's a good catastrophe that happens in such a way as to make sense of the rest of the story, especially the painful and confusing parts. So in, in that sermon on the Sunday after Easter, um, I talked about the various resurrection appearances of Jesus and the experiences of the, the disciples who, who saw and touched and talked with and ate with and learned from the risen Jesus. The resurrection changed how the disciples understood everything. And Jesus told them that they were going to be his witnesses uh, so that the resurrection, the resurrection could change how many, many other people understood everything. Because the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the manifestation that Jesus defeated sin and death at the cross, together with the spreading of this news to the end of the earth, is the eucatastrophe that will ultimately make sense of everything, period. One of our friends here at Christ the King serves in a job where she daily hears horrific stories of crimes committed in Canada and all the pain that is involved for, for victims, um, for perpetrators, and for bystanders. She says she doesn't know how anyone could function hearing these things day after day if they didn't have the hope that comes from knowing the crucified, risen, ascended, reigning Lord Jesus, who is Christ, our King. But hey, you know, these days, isn't it everyone, just by listening to the news, that hears horrific stories of evil being perpetrated in our world? And 
even in the church. And the rivers of tears that flow from all of it. If it's almost unbearable for us, how much more for everyone who doesn't yet know the, the truths expressed, for example, in the hymn that we just sang. Um, turn back in your bulletins to page three and take a look at the words of the second verse of the hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. I think these words capture so well the significance of the ascension for us and for our mission to, to a lost and hurting world. Verse two of that hymn. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, never more. How he watches o'er his loved ones, died to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, watching o'er them from the throne. Thinking about our crucified, risen, ascended Lord, Christ our King, and about spreading his praises from shore to shore. I've given my sermon today the title, Witnesses to the End of the Earth. Let's continue now with our passage. It contains an exchange between Jesus and his apostles before he ascends to heaven. In verses four and five, Jesus orders them not to depart from Jerusalem. Rather, they are to wait to receive power with the coming of the Holy Spirit. But power for what? The apostles think they know. They ask Jesus in verse six, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Israel, of course, had been under Roman occupation for a long while. Friends, what we learned from the last chapter of Luke's gospel is that Jesus spent those, those 40 days of his resurrection appearances teaching his apostles everything about himself in the scriptures of the Old Testament. He explained how by his suffering, death, resurrection, and coming ascension, he is both the suffering servant and the promised messianic king. And he has defeated sin and death at the cross. In our passage, we also see that uh, Jesus spoke to them during the, that 40-day period about the kingdom of God. That is God's reign in the hearts of people from every nation, tribe, people group, and language. But it seems the apostles have yet to catch the vision. They remain focused narrowly on their own interests. Jesus, when will you lead us to defeat Rome and restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus responds to them in verse seven. Knowing times or seasons is not your job. 
you have another job. You will receive power not for defeating Rome, but for being my witnesses to the end of the earth. Jesus says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. With these words, Jesus once more casts that vision of the worldwide kingdom of God. And Jesus gives his apostles their, their job description, their mission statement, their marching orders. You will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And then immediately in verse 9, he is taken up into a cloud of glory. We know from other scriptures, most notably from the book of Hebrews, that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat down. God the Father. Scripture tells us that he sat down for three reasons. First, he sat down because his one perfect sacrifice of himself on the cross was complete. The, uh, the Jewish priests in the temple stood day after day after day making animal sacrifices that could never deal with the universal problem of sin but only reminded everyone of it but jesus's one sacrifice was effective for all sin for all time and so he sat down second jesus sat down because he reigns From the throne of heaven, Jesus Christ, the King, directs his worldwide mission that he has given his church until he returns. And third, Jesus sat down because he intercedes for us with the Father. Jesus' throne is a throne of grace. The book of Hebrews exhorts us to confidently draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Back to our passage, verses 10 and 11. Two angels appear to the apostles as they kind of stare dumbfounded after Jesus. The angels assure the apostles that Jesus is coming back. As he was taken from them into heaven uh, in a cloud of glory, so he will one day return in glory on the clouds of heaven. But in the meantime, the, the angels uh, also gently rebuke the apostles. Why are they standing around when they have a job to do? They are to wait and pray in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then they are to be Jesus' witnesses, starting in Jerusalem and spreading out to Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The rest of the book of Acts records how all this happens. 
By the end of the book, the good news about Jesus' victory over sin and death and the invitation to turn to him in repentance and faith and to join the kingdom of God has spread far and far and far and wide. But the job is not complete. And, and so the job has been passed down generation after generation. And indeed, it is still not complete in our day. And so we also are called to be Jesus's witnesses to the end of the earth. In the remainder of my uh, sermon, I want to, to talk about what it means to be Jesus's witnesses to the end of the earth and to dispel uh, two misunderstandings. First misunderstanding. We may think that being Jesus's witnesses requires us to be really, really good at talking about Jesus and answering people's tough questions and explaining the Bible. Now, of course, <laughs> of course, these roles of evangelist, apologist, and preacher are very important. And we all do well to seek to grow in these areas as the Lord gives us opportunity. But at the same time, in our day, we have seen fallen leaders who were able to talk a good talk, but did not walk a good walk, and actually turned people away from Jesus. What then does it mean to be a witness to Jesus? A clue comes when we realize that the word translated witness in our Bibles is where we get another word, martyr. A martyr or witness is someone who is true to Jesus, whatever the cost. Because Jesus is supremely worthy. Whatever the cost, Jesus is worth it. A martyr or witness will often express the worth of Jesus in words. But whether eloquent or simple, these words are not as important as how the rest of the person's life testifies to the worthiness of Jesus. Let me share a couple of examples. At least two of our friends uh, at Christ the King have intentionally moved into neighborhoods in Toronto uh, where they live among the unreached urban poor. Areas dominated by refugee and new immigrant populations so that they will have an opportunity to make friends with and, and to serve people who don't know Jesus yet. People who may have connections to vast unreached people groups in the rest of the world. In doing this, our friends are giving up their, their familiar comfort zones because Jesus is worth it. Their witness to the worth of Jesus will not only be with their words, but also with their lives as neighbors and friends. Here's another example. One of our friends at Christ the King was riding on the subway recently when she saw a man uh, approach a young woman like herself and begin to harass her. 
Everyone on the subway car was uncomfortable, but our friend chose to act. She pretended she was a friend of the other young woman and called her to come join her, and together they got off the subway car at the next stop. When the man also got off, our friend resolved not to leave this young woman, not to leave her side, until they had evaded the, the harasser. Um, this involved walking with the other woman for um, a number of blocks to get to the next uh, subway stop so they could um, resume their, their trip safely. Now, I don't know that our, our friend spoke to this, uh, this other young woman about Jesus. Um, yet it was clear to me, hearing about this, that she was willing to, to risk her own safety and, and suffer inconvenience in her day uh, in order to make Toronto a little bit safer for another young woman because Jesus who suffered and gave his life for her is worth it. And so she is a witness to the worth of Jesus for all who hear this story today. Second misunderstanding. We may think that being Jesus' witnesses to the end of the earth requires traveling to faraway places. Certainly, some have been called to go far from home to serve Jesus as witnesses. Many of our friends here at Christ the King have gone on short-term mission trips to places all around the world. And uh, some, like the Alenskis family, have lived for many years as missionaries far from home. And also many of our friends at Christ the King, including the missions committee members, and all of you that uh, attend Luke 10-2 uh, at the Missions Hub, uh, have been praying and supporting Jesus' witnesses around the world. But also, in our small world, God can use us as his witnesses to the end of the earth right where we are right where um, god has planted us as uh, nicole mannix said yesterday at our day of prayer in fact um, before i uh, became a believer i became a believer as an adult i was 35. before i became a believer here in uh, toronto a Christian man living in Liberia, Africa, was Jesus's witness to me. He didn't know it, and I have never learned his name. I'm gonna conclude by telling you that story. So someone I knew uh, used to live in Africa and told me about this man and how he had risked his life to do what he believed Jesus would do. This man was the son of a tribal uh, leader. One day his father was murdered by a rival uh, leader. Some years passed and, the, and his father's murderer was, was sick and on his deathbed. The murderer asked that the son would come and see him. Um, he wanted to um, ask for and receive forgiveness 
for the father for the murder of the father everyone warned the son don't go it's a trick he wants to kill you too and of course this is how tribalism works <laughs> it's not enough to take out your rival you need to take out all their children uh, lest they take vengeance on you or your children but the son decided to go to his father's murderer and forgive him, even at the risk of his own life. Why did he go? Because he was a Christian and he believed that that is what Jesus would do. I heard this story some 25 years ago. Um, I, I was attending a, a liberal Anglican church at the time. But a Christian brother who had spent time serving in Africa was preaching that day and, and told this story. And as he told the story, he, he got choked up. And it hit me. This is a true story about a real person that the preacher actually knew. I was shocked to my core. You see, although I was going to church, I wasn't even really sure that Jesus ever existed. I just kind of thought the Bible was a, a venerable book of stories that encourages us to be good people and to be spiritual. But then I learned that someone on the other side of the globe had been willing to die in order to go to his father's murderer and forgive him. And the reason he did this unbelievable thing was because Jesus would do it? Wow, you know, this Jesus must have existed. <laughs> and he must have been a pretty special person to be able to have this kind of unimaginably noble effect on a real person 2,000 years later. That startling revelation was the beginning of my journey to discover what else is true about this Jesus. And within a couple of years, I attended an Alpha course, and I became a believing Christian. Friends, that, that Christian man in Liberia will never know this side of heaven, that he reached a sister in Canada for Christ. <laughs> and we also may never know this side of heaven, who we are reaching for Christ by our witness to the worthiness of Jesus. But we can know this. When we are willing to be true to Jesus, whatever the cost, because he paid the ultimate cost for us, and to reveal to others that he paid the ultimate cost for them also. This proclaims the worthiness of Jesus to the world and brings glory to him. Let us pray. Ascended Lord Jesus Christ, our King, from your throne of grace in heaven, forgive our sins, heal our hearts, direct our paths, and by your Holy Spirit, empower us to be your witnesses 
to the end of the earth. Amen.